Thank you for listening to Quest Church San Diego. If you would like to know more about us, please visit us online at questsd.com. Again, that's questsd.com. If this podcast has been an encouragement to you, or if you would like to know more about Jesus, please email us at info at questsd.com. Thank you for listening. into God's Word this morning, uh, looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, for those who are new here to the church, or or, kind of just checking us out. Uh, We are studying through Paul's letters to the church in Corinth, and we started that in the beginning of the year, looking at 1 Corinthians, and now we're in 2 Corinthians. In fact, we are coming to the conclusion of this letter, uh, chapters 10, 11, 12, and 13 are kind of the it's a transition for Paul in, in his letters to the church, and he's defending more of his leadership, of his ministry, and of his authority. We've mentioned already so far that there were some challenges and issues in the church, and Paul pastorally and theologically and biblically and humbly ministered to them through his letter and reminding them of the holiness and the purity of God, of, the, of, of crucifying the flesh and living for God being servants and ministering to other people, uh, as well as uh, living a life of generosity. In fact, last week was kind of uh, a topic looking at the gift or the grace of giving. And Paul was encouraging the church in Corinth to give to a mission fund that was used to help minister to other churches and other Christians in other regions who were experiencing a lot of persecution and trial and suffering. And so uh, we see that when we consecrate ourselves to the Lord, when we give ourselves fully to Him, that leads to a life of giving towards other people and generosity. And it was really rooted in uh, the example of Jesus, that Jesus is our example of sacrificial living. He gave of Himself in order to serve and minister to others. And Paul, in the previous chapter, encouraged us to do the same in this type of gift of grace and, and giving. Jesus is our example, but there's also a joy expressed in uh, giving of our lives to other people. Now, there is a bit of a transition as we go into these last chapters where in 2 Corinthians, Paul is dealing much more with uh, lies that were coming against him from false teachers and false apostles and false leaders and critical Christians within the church during his absence. And so Paul didn't like to talk about himself. If you've ever read much of the New Testament, he doesn't want to boast in his own glory or in his own ability. He wants to boast in his weakness because he knows that when he's weak, then the power and the strength of God is perfected in his weakness. So he would talk more about his suffering. But in these chapters, we, <clears throat> we see Paul deal with the authentication of his ministry and of his apostleship, uh, as well as his vindication and the revelation that he has in uh, what God has shown him in his calling, and then the execution, because at the end of this book, uh, Paul is going to describe that he's coming back a third time to visit with them. And so uh, the point for us to remember today, we have much of this up on the screens, as well as uh, we do have our sermon notes available. I think we've got a couple printed out. As you, as you come on into the service, you can pick them up, but you can also scan the QR codes, and there's the sermon notes for you, just so you can follow along. But a very... Uh, simple main point for us to remember today is that Paul's authority comes with divine authenticity, that the authority and the leadership that Paul has 
in the church uh, is authenticated by the providence of God and the calling of God and the work of God. In fact, Paul would mention multiple times uh, during his preaching ministry his testimony. And I love to hear people's testimonies and hear how God called them and hear how God worked in their lives and hear what God had delivered them from because you see the power and the grace of God to transform people's lives. And Paul was, uh, before he was Paul, he was Saul. And God changed not only his life, but he changed his name in the course of his ministry because Paul was persecuting the church. And as he was going to persecute the church, he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he was blinded by the revelation of Jesus for three days. And he was prayed for by another Christian man who helped him receive his sight. But Jesus told him of the things that he would experience because he was a follower of Jesus now. And all the things that he would suffer. And Paul often talked about the, the weakness that he had and the change that God made in his life. And the authority wasn't uh, because of his education and uh, because of his degrees. In fact, if you look at all the other apostles, uh, Paul was the most educated. In the book of Acts, we're told that the early apostles, they weren't educated. They weren't learned men. They were fishermen and tax collectors and just Ordinary people, yeah, I see the fishermen, right? God can use fishermen, for sure, absolutely, to catch men as well. But they were just ordinary people, and yet the religious authorities and rulers saw that they were so transformed and changed, but they had been with Jesus. And their authority didn't come from a position or a title or an education or a degree, but it came from being with Jesus. And God can do the same in our own lives. So we're looking at the... Uh, authenticity of Paul's apostleship. And we're going to see it in three ways, just a very simple outline. I do believe that there are some wonderful takeaways for us uh, in our lives personally. First, we're going to see that Paul defends against the lies that are coming against him, the attacks. They're basically uh, attacking his character, as well as his outward appearance. And uh, so we're going to read about that. Secondly, we're going to see Paul demonstrate the legitimacy of his authority as an apostle. And then lastly, we're going to see Paul define the limits of his authority. He's actually going to use the word, his, the sphere of influence. And this really, I think, is a, a great takeaway for us because every single one of us has a, a sphere of influence. We have a, a certain world around us. There's people, there's relationships, there's responsibilities, there's work, there's kids, whatever it is. We have a sphere where God is calling us to impact. And Paul, at the end of this uh, chapter, he says... I don't want to veer off into other people's lanes. I want to stay in my sphere. And uh, I heard recently a quote about revival or spiritual revival. It says, if you want to have revival in your life, just draw a circle around your life and make sure everything within that circle is right with God. And I thought, wow, that's a really great way to describe and really to refine and describe a life that is focused on the right things, the priorities that God would would have for us. So, a lot to get to. Let's jump into verse 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold toward you. I love that Paul opens up with the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. In fact, uh, one of the things I, I think about when I read this chapter or kind of put myself in Paul's shoes is that basically he's coming under attack by other people. Now maybe make that personal. Have you ever been wrongly accused? 
Has somebody ever said something about you that was not true? What is your initial reaction when that takes place? Well, oftentimes, well, probably not you guys, but I'm just speaking for myself. Oftentimes, I get in the flesh, and I want to respond, and I want to fight back, and I want to uh, defend myself. And uh, really, the flesh is full of anger and malice and wrath and bitterness and hatred and all these sort of things. I want to defend myself, or I want to point out the wrongs in other people. And I feel that these attacks are personal. I take them personally. And Paul here is responding not in a fleshly way. He's responding in a spiritual way. In fact, the meekness and gentleness is what Paul pleads and appeals to in the opening verses. And uh, we might think that those are contradictory or those aren't manly qualities, but they are godly qualities. They are rare qualities in our culture and in our world. And you might think that meekness and gentleness are weak, but they're not weak. They are rooted in the person and nature of God as well as the person and nature of Jesus Christ. And we can be meek and humble. Basically, those words are our humility and gentleness. It's what Jesus modeled for us and uh, through his humility. And I think uh, one of the most important qualities, not only for leaders, say, in the church, because in context we're talking about Paul in the church in Corinth, but for a Christian in general, is, is humility and, and gentleness. In fact, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, that it is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Gentleness is one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And this gentleness and humility is the picture of Christ. And so Paul appeals not to defending himself in the flesh, but to this gentleness of Christ. And this is his approach. Because he's going to go on to talk about how this is not a physical battle. This is a spiritual battle. But I beg you, verse 2, that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some. So Paul's not calling out the entire church. There are just some. In fact, later on in the following chapters, we see that it deals with false apostles and false leaders who have come in, in Paul's absence, making these accusations and lies about Paul's authority and leadership in the church. And uh, he says, I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Aha, now we are given insight about what is really going on in this situation. This is a spiritual battle, and it's a spiritual war. And there are not only the weapons spiritually coming against us, but we also have a defense. And Paul says in verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I love that verse because oftentimes there is a battle of the mind. And uh, Paul was being judged by his outward appearance. In fact, in verse 7 we see, Do you look at the things according to the outward appearance? These are more accusations that were coming against him. Now, we don't know exactly what Paul looked like, but there are some uh, records that indicate Paul was short, he was bow-legged, he was bald, he walked with a limp, and he had a crooked nose. So uh, there you go. We, any, uh, any one of us can be used. I see a lot more handsome and pretty people in this crowd than Paul the Apostle. But God's not looking at the outward appearance. And uh, many of these people... We're calling him out because of 
his outward appearance, and yet uh, we see Paul say that this is a spiritual battle in warfare. Just really in these opening verses, we see that Paul defends against some of these lies towards his authority. And he pleads, as we had already mentioned, for the meekness of Christ uh, that would be accompanied with the boldness that he has in his speech. And yet, Paul understands that if you pull all of this back, there is a spiritual battle going on, a spiritual warfare. And many of the physical struggles that we face in life are actually spiritual battles. There could be uh, spiritual battles with another individual who might have accusations or lies or say sort of these sort of things uh, behind our back or on social media. And really, that's just gossip. That's just slander. And we want to fight back and clear the record. But Paul says those types of weapons are not how the spiritual Christian should respond. Paul was not going to defend his authority and apostleship with deceit or manipulation. He was going to use the armor of God. In fact, in Paul's other epistle or letter, he talks about putting on the whole armor of God. And uh, because there are fiery darts of the enemy, the spiritual battles are indication that you have an enemy, an enemy of your soul. His name is Satan, the devil, the serpent. Uh, But he also has a bunch of henchmen and women. I don't know if there's gender with angels, but uh, they're all over the place coming against you when you stand in the meekness and the humility and the holiness of Christ. You have a target on your back. And those are fiery darts, trickery darts, Paul says, of the devil. And oftentimes we want to run. We want to hide. But Paul says if you take up and put on the full armor of God, then we can stand our ground. We don't need to run. We can have the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith with which to extinguish all of those darts, those spiritual darts that are coming against us. And the belt of truth and uh, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God and the feet ready and prepared with the gospel, that we can be uh, suited up. Now, if you were to see somebody walk around in Alpine or in San Diego or in El Cajon, all decked out in full armor gear, what would you say? like that guy's crazy what is that what is that person doing doesn't he know it's 104 degrees outside yeah right it's like wow that's this is this is nuts but when you put something on like that it immediately puts you in a completely different mindset it puts you in a mindset of I'm going to be ready there is something happening I am respond I got a shield of faith and when you put on the armor of God then you are saying, I'm ready. And you are always looking and you are always aware. But uh, I love how the helmet of salvation guards our minds. And what's cool about that is many of those lies or those things that people might say about you, have you ever had some of those, those things um, stick in your mind? Have you ever had some of them, you start to believe them? You start to think, well, maybe I am kind of that way or... Maybe he or she is right about that in my life. And really, they're just lies. And God would say, the salvation that I have provided for you indicates that you are loved, that you are redeemed, you are forgiven, you are restored, you are set free. And uh, what other people might say about you has nothing to do with what God says about you. And the helmet of salvation takes captive every single thought. I know I need to wrangle up and wrestle down and make these thoughts obedient to Christ because Paul is going to say that he's being compared to other people. 
And we should not. I think it's a failure to compare ourselves to the successes of other people. But that is what is going on in our world today. It's a constant comparison with the magazines that we see and the perfect mom or the perfect dad or the perfect life. And we compare ourselves outwardly in outward appearance. The Christians in Corinth or some of those Judaizers who were causing up uh, strife within the church in Corinth, they were looking at the outward appearance and they were comparing themselves one to another. Look how holy I am. Look how great I am. Well, the same thing is happening in our world, in our culture. And we begin to believe the lies that we've got to wear this thing or we've got to have this thing or we've got to look a certain way or we've got to be a certain way and we compare ourselves. And what happens when you compare yourself to anybody? You start to get depressed. You start to get down. You start to realize that there's always somebody going to be more beautiful, more pretty, more handsome, with more things and more success. But that's not the point. Paul, in fact, ends this chapter by saying we aren't going to be commended by anybody but we want to please the Lord in everything. And so the battle of the mind, take captive every thought. No, I'm loved. I'm forgiven. And uh, this battle, if we take up the whole armor of God, maybe you've got some of them. Maybe you've got the sword of the Spirit. You've got the Word of God in your heart. But, um, and uh, maybe you have a shield and you're extinguishing some, some really difficult times right now. But truth, the helmet, and these other areas... Paul says, take up the whole armor of God. Be ready in and out of season. And this armor gives us the strategic victory over the flesh. Because that really is what is at the matter here. It's uh, a battle between the flesh and the spirit. And Paul walks that line so wonderfully and encourages us to do the same. Look, as we already read verse 7, Paul says, Do you look at things according to the outward appearance? If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ's, let him again consider this in himself, that just as he is Christ, even so we are in Christ. He's basically saying, look around. We're all a bunch of broken knuckleheads. We're all a bunch of people in need of Jesus. We all uh, have weaknesses and and sin and and areas uh, that God is working on. And if we're in Christ, then there's no room to be judging other people or looking at the outward appearance of other people. For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us, for your edification and not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed. So Paul says that the authority that we have is from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not based on performance. It's through the providence of God. And notice the position that Paul has, this apostleship, this leadership, this authority within the church. Does he use that to destroy people? Does he use that to look down upon people? Does he use that to control and to manipulate and to pad his wallet with money from the people? No, he uses it to edify. You will always know a genuine servant of the Lord through humility and through edification. Somebody who does not use the position that God or the sphere of influence that God has given and called them to for their own benefit, for their own glory, or for their own praise, but for the edification of other people. Somebody who would come under and alongside and build up. And Paul says, God gave this to me. And he gave it. Not only did he give me this authority, but we also see that any spiritual influence that we may have is, uh, is from the Lord. God has opened up those doors and opportunities for us. So this authority 
is given for edification and building up other people. Last verse 9, I seem to terrify you by my letters. For, this is a quote from some of the people in the church. They were calling him out on this. For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Let, let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters, when we are absent, such we will be in deed when we are present. So basically, they were looking at the outward appearance and also looking at his letters and criticizing Paul's appearance and his speech as weak and as cowardly. But Paul has already determined that he's not going to be evaluated by the standards of men. And by looking at the outward appearance, we often gauge success or the value of other people. But God is looking at the heart. And uh, when our hearts are close to him, then there's this type of holiness. In fact, um, you know, yesterday we had our men's breakfast, and it's such a great time. If you haven't been to our men's breakfast, it's the first Saturday of every month, aside from maybe if there's a holiday. So this was the second Saturday of this month because of the 4th of July holiday. And uh, it's down in the fellowship hall, great food, uh, great worship, uh, great Bible study, great time to just hang out. Um, and uh, Mike LaPetri was doing the Bible study yesterday, and he was sharing from Isaiah chapter 6, the calling and the commission of Isaiah but uh, during the midst of turmoil in the country because the king of the country had died. However, God decided in that moment to reveal himself. And uh, Isaiah had this vision of God on the throne, high and lifted up. And the cool thing is that when Isaiah had this vision of God on the throne, he fell down face first before him and he confessed all of his sin. He said, woe is me for I am a person of unclean lips. And uh, anybody you see in all the scriptures who has a vision or an encounter with Jesus fall down on their face in worship and say, wow, I'm completely undone. I'm wrecked inside. And so if man is looking at the outward appearance, but God is looking at the heart, the closer we walk with God, the clearer our wickedness becomes. We see it. We see the wickedness in our heart. We see the sinfulness in our heart. We see the impurity in our heart. So Paul, so Paul is saying that God, what, what matters most in this situation is not what other people see on the outside or the assessment that other people make because at, with looking at your life. It's what Jesus sees on the inside. And what he sees oftentimes when we draw close to him is not a surprise to him, but it's a surprise to us. And we, we realize, wow, I've fallen short. Lord, forgive me. And when we confess, then there's a purity and there's, a, there's this forgiveness and there's this cleansing. And the closer we walk with him, then all that really matters is pleasing and honoring him. That providence was handed to God, but it's also handed to you and I in the sphere of influence that we have. And we'll just close with this in looking at the limits of Paul's leadership and authority. Look at verse 12. He says, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. You know, you've probably been around people, you talk with people, who they're just always talking about themselves. Whatever it is, it's just always about themselves. And they never consider what's going on in your life, or they never ask you a question about, yeah, what's going, how are you doing, or what's happening, or how can I pray for you, or I noticed this, or I noticed that. And, uh, you know, the Bible says that if you want to know what's going on in a person's heart, just listen to the words that they speak, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if there's a lot of pride and arrogance and selfishness, you're going to hear it when you talk to somebody. 
but there's something genuine and something real and something needed and something beautiful about a person who has died to the flesh and died to the carnal things. As Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And when we've died to the flesh, now we're looking at other people and we're seeing them through the eyes of Christ and we're engaging them in a conversation where the Lord would minister and meet their need. Paul is saying we are not commending ourselves. That's for only one person to do. And uh, he says, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. Paul says it is not wise to compare yourself to other people. We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the, sp- of the sphere which God appointed us, a sphere which especially includes you. Now, for Paul, the apostle we've already mentioned was uh, this unique rule, role in planting churches and spreading the gospel and building the kingdom of God early on, writing much of the New Testament as well, being inspired by the Holy Spirit. There was a unique sphere that Paul had. There's also a sphere that we have. And uh, Paul says, I don't want to overextend, in verse 14, ourselves in this type of authority, for it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ. Not boasting of things beyond measure, that is, in other men's labors, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you, and not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment. But he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. For not the one who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. I think that would radically change the way that we live every single day when we wake up in the mornings and start our day. Lord, how can I please you? How can I honor you? But there are so many years and so much effort and energy that goes into the color of the hair or adding of the hair for some who need some hair. The clothing that we wear, you know, the things that we have. Now, it's not to say that we shouldn't take care of ourselves and those sort of things. It's good. But if that's our identity and our worth and value rises and falls with the assessment of what we have on our physical bodies or what other people say about us, then we've missed it altogether. We've missed the love that God has for you, not in who you are or what you've done or how you look, but in what Christ has done for you on the cross. He says you are valuable and you are worthy of my love because of the sending of Jesus Christ. It's a failure to compare ourselves. And it is a miserable failure to compare ourselves to other people. So then, how do we measure ourselves? Well, we measure ourselves not against man's standards, but against God's standards. Against the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit is a wonderful measuring rod for us in our lives. The Holy Spirit measures us through the standard of God's Word. So that when we open up God's Word, when we read it, we begin to see, wow, I really have fallen short. Wow, God is the standard of how to live a holy life and how to live a pure life. And it's going to be difficult and it's going to be hard. We're going to fail. We've got a lot of weaknesses and a lot of failures. But coming back to a heart of repentance and the kindness of God that leads us to repentance and uh, seeing that this standard is the only standard that matters. 
And there is really only an audience of one when it comes to the performance of our lives. Our sphere of influence is the mission field. We are called to impact. So just think with me right now as our worship, worship team comes on up and leads us in a closing song. Just think with me about your sphere of influence. Just draw a, a mental circle right now around your life. Maybe many of the important people in your life right now are in this room sitting next to you, or maybe not. But think about the people. Think about the resources. Think about the material possessions. Think about the plans or the dreams or the visions or the passions that you have. Think about that sphere. Now, think about how when you approach those people and things with this attitude and heart of pleasing God, are there anything, is there anything in that circle that you need to let go of? Is there anything in that circle that has a control over you? Is there anything in that circle that needs your attention desperately right now? Well, that's revival. That's sticking to the plan of God in your life. That's seeing the limits of what God has given you and the people that God has blessed you with and the relationships that you have and the resources that you have, the money that you have. That's in seeing that everything is a gift to be treasured by God and handed back to him for his purpose and for his work. And yes, it is true that life has so much more meaning when we approach these things with this heart and this attitude that uh, your life can have impact. And that impact starts with the people and the things within the sphere of influence that you have a touch with. And ultimately, this comes down to whatever we do and whatever we say. The approval of the Lord Jesus Christ is all that matters. Seek him. Open up your word. Because he won't contradict himself. But uh, he'll lead you faithfully. So if you open up your word and you ask the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you, and you have a humble heart of repentance towards him, and you confess those those things to God, and you say, God, I want to live life open-handed but intentional with the world that you have given me, then that's all that matters is pleasing him. Please the Lord Jesus Christ in all things. Amen? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this encouragement, also this challenge, and being able to pull the veil back on Paul's life, dealing with these lies and accusations, attacking his character and his ministry and his leadership, but Paul taking the humble, meek, and gentle approach. Help us to do the same. I wonder if there are people in this room who are under the microscope of the criticism and the slander and the gossip of others. And they're feeling the weight of it. And they want to lash out. They want to fight back. They want to defend. Lord, would you stand with them would you strengthen them? Would you walk with them? Help them to model the meekness and the gentleness and the humility of Christ. But also give them boldness as they stand for you. I know that there are many in this room and those online who are in spiritual battles right now. And it is raging. The warfare is raging. I pray that you would stand with them. Strengthen them. And encourage them. And help us, Lord 
not to fall into the trap of comparing ourselves or doing things for the applause of men or women, but doing them to please you. We love you, God. We thank you. We, help, we ask that you would help us take all of these thoughts captive in obedience to Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If this podcast has been an encouragement to you, or if you would like to know more about Jesus, please email us at info at questsd.com. We'd love to hear from you. God bless you.